Hello, hello, hello. It is Thursday, April 4th in Dallas, Texas. This is Numbers on the Boards. I'm Bobby Corella from Mavs.com. Joining me today is Skin. What's up, Skin? Oh, yeah. Hey, good to see you, man. It's good to see you. I'm sweating right now. Sorry. Why are you sweating? uh, I ran over here. So I was getting some furniture delivered, and I was making you wait. And I felt bad, so I sprinted from my apartment to the office, which is like miles. And that miles. was unnecessary because nothing sucks worse than well. There's a few things that sucks worse, but running in jeans when it's hot outside. Oh yeah, is just. But the thing is, like, it was not hot this morning. It no, felt, but it is now. I'm wearing nice. like it's this so little. Muggy. I'm wearing a thin t-shirt and then a thin like little zip-up hoodie from this badass uh, brewery I went to called Wooden Robot in Charlotte during the All Star break. Yeah, and it's real thin. And then I got out of my car. And I was like, man, I don't need this. This is way too hot. Uh, and then I look up, and you're running across the parking lot in jeans. <laughs> and it reminded me. Like an idiot. <laughs> it's, and, and it was nice of you to hustle, but you didn't need to do that. But it reminded me, why are there so many rap videos in the 90s of dudes running in jeans? I don't and know, it's man. it's the biggest, giant, baggy jeans. Like, the one that always uh, stands out to me is the Snoop Doggy Dog video. Snoop Dogg Bomb, that one. But if that's on the West Coast, at least it's, like, usually mild. That's you know? true, but it's just, like, giant jeans. It's almost like a punishment. Back yeah. then, the jeans were so baggy. Uh, it's like a potato sack race or Skinny something. jeans are just as bad, though. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, don't got a lot of... Clean it's it's like an overcorrection. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's an overcorrection the other way. But the weather changing around here in Dallas is getting warmer. Makes you think of... Uh, Dirk, whenever he talks about the playoffs, he always says one of his favorite things is the weather's nice. It's always warm outside. <laughs> it does which is that. like a weird thing to think about. But then we were just in... I was in D.C. like two weeks ago, uh-huh. and it was below freezing. So yeah. I'm like, well, it is nice whenever the weather's you know feeling pretty good and uh, playoff basketball and everything. And of course, we are toward the end of the season. I think uh, I might have told this story on the pod before. So if I have, you can slap the story out of my mouth. But uh, the, the day of the parade... Which was such I don't think you've told this story. Okay. So the day of the parade, uh, you know, there's a lot of different floats, and there's players, and there's maniacs, and dancers, and coaches, and all these different things. So I was on a float with broadcasters. And all the floats were in the Dallas Convention Center, and then they were pulling out of there. And so we were one of the last floats to pull out. And Jason Terry, uh, if you famously remember the story, can't remember if he had just gone and bought a Lamborghini or a Maserati or something, but he in had, celebration. Yeah, and he'd been up all night and he was wearing a robe, <laughs> and he was walking around handing out cigars. Yeah, and so I'm literally the float is like starting to move, and Jet hands me a cigar. I'm like the, one of the greatest Mavericks of all time is in a robe, and he hands me a cigar. You Are take you kidding it. me? You take it, and I put it in my mouth, and I light that thing. And I take a deep pull. Big like, mistake, man. This is so great. My team finally won a championship, and Jet hands me a cigar, and now I'm in a parade. I don't deserve this. Can you believe it? And then we pull out of that convention center, and it's like 1030, and it's already 450 degrees outside. And I immediately had that moment where I was Ron Burgundy in Anchorman where he goes, milk was a horrible decision. <laughs> it was, so, and so I'm taking drags. I don't even know if there was water on the float. I, I'm, my mouth is just, oh, my God. Oh, but I've smoked that whole damn cigar because you don't have a choice. Well, and I think, so I think you've told me this story off, Mike, because whenever we made the uh, draft lottery That's where video, that came from. which brought Luca to the Mavs, yes. uh, there's a direct correlation, and Jalen Brunson, too. Uh, you had the butt of a cigar. I kept it. Yeah. I mean, because it was so like... So did you smoke that in, 
Yeah, because you saw the how way much was left. Bottom, I smoked yeah. it down to that on that float. Oh my god! Yeah, what were you thinking? Dude? It was just commitment. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like, hey, this is a horrible idea, but man, I'm gonna ride this thing out. Dirk tried for 13 out years. You could try for 13 minutes. Right. You know? I smoked this whole cigar, but yeah. I just and because the parade, it was it lasted a long time. It did. And man. then I was just kind of had that cigar buzz, and I was just sweating my butt off yeah. and i think i was wearing jeans oh yeah probably oh man i was inside wearing shorts and i was sweating in the <laughs> arena it was so hot in there i didn't it wasn't even on the route god what yeah. it, maybe one day we'll relive the whole parade day oh dude man the, or, or as we call it man. deshaun stevenson day yeah absolutely absolutely it's i mean so it's, it's fun to look back man it it's is. fun to look back and like we were saying you know coming to the playoffs dirk talking about the playoffs the warm weather and everything the end of the season is next week it's all kind of nigh upon us it's all happening and so uh, I think it's normal to feel sentimental this time of year, especially yeah. when, like, literally two days ago, Steve Nash is at the game. And, I mean, yes. it's just – it's all kind of – everything is sort of uh, – feels like it's coming to an end of, of sorts, even though it might not be the end. It does it, feel that it way. Feels it feels that way. And, and there's two things. One, we had Mike Finley on the Ben and Skin show uh, to promote his poker tournament. It looked like – were you there? I was not I was okay. not there. It looked like a blast. Dude, man. they had Monte Ellis there. Yeah. They had uh, all kinds of former players, current players, people you see at Mav games, coaches, just an incredible crew of people. But he was talking about Dirk in past tense. Mike was. Yeah. Uh, and talking about the things he had told Dirk about what you feel when he goes, now listen, four months after you retire, you're going to think you can go back out there and do it. It's just the way it is, but you can't. Yeah, And so he was talking about him in past tense. Nash was kind of talking about him in past tense a little bit on the broadcast from the standpoint of, well, I'm not going to be able to be here and blah, blah, blah. And so this is my thing. And so anyways, you know, Dirk's not talking about it. Dirk's stance has not changed once since last summer. It's like you guys can say what you want and do what you want. I'm very steadfast in how I'm approaching this, and it has not wavered once. Yep. So what's changed is everybody around Dirk. Once they start saying was, you know, yeah. that's whenever you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. It just kind of hits you, you know. It hits you. And then so the next day on the Ben and Skin show, we were uh, after the Nash uh, broadcast. We, oh, so I, that happened like two days in a row? Finley and then Nash? No, was no, like Finley, I'm sorry, was a week before. Oh, okay, okay. And then Nash was, you know, gotcha. a week later. And so the Nash game, I think that was a – Oh, Monday night, maybe, mm-hmm. yep. or maybe it was whatever. And then, so the next day on the show, Ben and I just break out into impromptu Steve Nash, Michael Finley, and Dirk stories because, you know, I've said this many times, you know, I'm, I'm obviously really lucky to have the gigs that I have and be in the position that I'm in, and you got to get lucky for those sorts of things to happen. And one of the things I've always said, and I mean this wholeheartedly, is that Dirk has given a lot of people careers uh, and or greatly expanded their careers. And I'm one of those people because, you know, when Ben and I first got started, we were doing the Dallas Mavericks postgame show on the ticket. We're on the air maybe three hours a week, maybe. And we're on at 11 o'clock at night or, you know, 10 to 30 at night or whatever. And that's hard to find you know, it's hard to build a following doing that unless the thing that you're covering is so wildly popular that people find out about you tangentially. And so one of the things that happen is our uh, reputations and status or whatever grew exponentially because of people's interest in 
really Dirk. I mean, the Mavericks, yes, but it's Dirk that is fueling that. And so I'm just sort of in the middle of all that, and I'm just riding on the crest of the wave the whole time. And my life keeps getting better and better and better, and I keep getting more opportunities simply because I was in the right place when the big German showed up. You know, Mark Stein's a great, great, great writer. And, but his career exploded because he was at the Dallas Morning News when Nash and Dirk arrived, and he formed an early bond with them, and it has been incredible for his career. And so what I mean by that is just Dirk's singular brilliance and people's interest in that has created careers for other people that I'm not saying did or didn't deserve it, but you've got to be in this sort of moment where suddenly like, man, I'm getting all the benefit of just this guy being so freaking yeah, awesome. without him. And I mean, it, it, it's even that way on the team too. I mean, Rick Carlisle, he won his championship in Dallas in his third season as head coach. Yep. He's a great coach, but if they don't win that title, is he considered one of the best? Is he still the coach of the Mavericks right. after whatever it's been, 11 seasons? Mark Cuban, he owned yeah. the team for 10 years before they won a championship. What happens if they don't win? I mean, Jason Terry, Sean yep. Marion, Jason yep. Kidd. I mean, yep. all these guys, like, retire without a ring. And Randy Galloway had this great phrase where he would he said Dirk saves all butts. He does, man. and that's that's vintage Randy to say it in that way. But that yeah. is about as truthful as it is. Dirk saves all butts. Dirk has covered up a lot of mistakes yep. by his sheer individual brilliance. For people that are younger that might not remember whenever Dirk was a rookie, just. Look at it this way. Like, look how much more interest there is in the Mavericks this year because of Luka. Mm -hmm. And that's after, like, three or four years mm -hmm. of borderline irrelevance. And right. remember, three years ago, they were a playoff team. They were right. the number six seed in the West. So they've missed the playoffs now. This will be three years in a row. Imagine Dirk coming to the Mavs <clears throat> whenever they had missed the playoffs and been under five hundred for ten straight seasons, two of which were, like, the worst seasons of all time. They won 24, 24 games over two entire years. Right. The Mavs won 24 games last year, and it was considered, like, a catastrophe. I mean, Dirk, like, rescued this franchise from complete really irrelevance. This and is, that is kind of the tidal wave that began. Yes, and this is actually what you're saying right there, Bob, very intuitive, is that's how we even spun into this conversation on the radio show the other day. We didn't have a goal to start telling these stories or whatever, but it just ended up there because... You know, if you're my age uh, and you've been a Maverick fan since day one, which I have, and I was lucky my dad had tickets, so I grew up going to those games. You're a couple generations after me, but you had family that worked for the team, so you grew up as part of... Dude, I have memories of Reunion Arena whenever no one was there. Yeah. I mean, I was young, but I remember it. And, you, and, and that's one of the reasons Cuban bought the team is Cuban would go to those games, and it's dead. It was lifeless. And he was like, you know, Cuban's a visionary. We all know that now. Cuban's like, man... If I had this thing, Lord have mercy. We, before we started this podcast, we're here at the Mavericks offices, and we were walking, and you were talking to Tamara that works over in the Mavs care department. She, she's great. Uh, all the media, Dallas media that covers the Mavericks have known her for years. Mm -hmm. But she was talking about being with a Slovenian fan who had never seen an NBA game, and they were like, oh, my God, it's like a, what you call a presentation or a performance. Yeah, it's more like a show. It's like a show. And that's Cuban standing there in Reunion Arena – going, this is not the NBA, this is a ghost town. And so Cuban pumped life into this thing, and it is a performance. And the Mavs Maniacs have been here for 17 years now. Yeah. And, dude, DJ Poison Ivy is a beast. She's worked the All-Star Games. Yep. And so there's all these elements that go to it. Our buddy Cash Soroy over at The Well Delivers, who used to work for the team, makes these incredible videos, and his crew makes incredible videos. And so, uh, and then the, the Mavs digital content folks do great stuff. So it's like it's this, it's this big thing 
thing, and I'm telling you, there was 10 years where it was uh, a monolith. It was the big giant uh, obelisk in 2001. It's just a black thing that's just humming that no one knows what it is. It was, yep. It's dead. And so to, to, that all coincided. So what, what, what we got, got us talking is Nash came here and Dirk came here on the same day. Finley was already here. Um, and the team, I remember the very first game against Seattle after the, the lockout. And Nash, his, you know, very uh, historically people remember, was really bad his first year here. In fact, I looked it up the other day. I think he shot 36% from the field. It was not great. But I remember so well. This will tell you what a Mav nerd I was. The first game at Seattle, I think Nash hit two threes in the first half. Oh yeah, and the reason back I re- then that's a, I mean that's the smoking. reason I remember is because I was screaming, going crazy. You know, my wife doesn't really watch at the time; she was my girlfriend. But I was like, "We finally have a guy that can shoot. We finally have a guy." I mean, I'm like talking to a wall. I'm, "Did you see that wall? We have a guy that can shoot." And I'm going bonkers, and then it all went downhill from there. But the point being. Finley and Nash and Dirk were here and Nellie and Donnie were here, but there was so much negativity from the previous decade. So much just, you could squint and go, but this could be good. But there was just, the media was against it. Uh, they used to kill the, the Don and Donnie in the paper for drafting Dirk. They, they talked about Donnie being nepotism. Boy, did you guys fail on Steve Nash. You gave him a contract before you needed to. What a joke. The media's killing him. Talk radio is killing him. And the fans are not interested. And then Cuban bought the team, and all he changed was attitude. Yep. Like, the big three are here. I mean, dude, I've heard some amazing stories about how Don and Donnie were trying to size up Cuban when he got here. Not oh, knowing. Yeah? not knowing who he was or what he was about. Yeah. And, dude, keep in mind, Don Nelson had been fired many times. Mm. Had a flame out in Golden State. When he, went, when he left New York, uh, he thought he was done. He thought he was retiring to Maui. And that's like in the early 90s. That's mid-90s. Mid-90s, that's, yeah. Uh, he was the guy that wanted to pull Patrick Ewing away from the basket. Like, think about how basketball's played now. Yeah. Wanted to pull Nell, or Ewing away from the basket. Open things up. We're not going to throw it down in the block every possession and slow things down. And Ewing resisted. So Nelly didn't. I don't think Nelly lasted a full year. Yeah. I'd have to go back and look. I think he was It there. was very quick, and they replaced him right with JVG, right? Yes. Just I believe Jeff Van Gundy immediately. Who's like the total antithesis of, of everything that Nelly stands for. Right. So, and obviously Ewing has a lot of sway. But my whole point is that Nelly thought his career was done. And just how we got onto this. The, there was new owners. It was Ross Perot Jr., and his main guy was a real estate guy named Frank Zaccanelli, yep. who was a big – my dad used to play pickup basketball with Frank Zaccanelli. Um, big basketball guy, but, you know, like everyone who plays basketball is like, well, I know what to do. I know basketball. So he started making trades, and then the thing got worse, and it was a disaster, so he went to go get Nelly to kind of save it. And, and that's how he kind of got off on this whole thing. But th- things were in place – but, man, it's amazing how much life Cuban pumped into it. And then the things are in place were suddenly allowed to foster and grow, and we know what happened from there. Yeah, man. And it just all kind of worked out beautifully, too, because the Mavericks' first season in the playoffs is 2001. And then three months later, you get a shiny new arena. Mm-hmm. So you have these great young players. You got a new arena. You got a new logo, new jerseys, new everything. There's auto- Automatically, there's just so much excitement pumped into it. You suddenly forget that the previous decade, I think they were the second worst franchise and all of professional sports for the uh, decade for the entire 90s yeah, yeah i mean it wouldn't surprise me and i think, was, I, I think they kind of saved themselves by going 500 in 1999 i mean yeah. it was like 
they were terrible. Yeah. I have it here, man. I mean, so from 1989-90, okay, they went 47-35. and 35. Then the 90s began. They won 28-22-11-13-36-26-24-20. I mean, and they weren't that's trying to be bad, awful. dude. No. Like people were go, trying to build a team. They're trying to build a team. I mean, and that's the, that's the whole, like, we talk about getting Nash and getting Dirk and getting, uh, getting Nelly. And Nelly was obviously here before Nash and Dirk. One of Nelly's first moves, I think he was the. This was right after he took over. Was trading away Jason Kidd? Uh, no, or, or was that before? Nelly that was, was before. Here? And in fact, the okay. first thing Nelly said to Frank Zaccanelli was, "Why in the f did you guys <laughs> trade Jason Kidd?" So keep it. So here's what. So that was his last. That was the that was that was the Frank Zaccanelli move that okay. said, "Oh, it's because the media destroyed him." Yeah, and I mean, uh, <laughs> and so what happened was uh, the the coach at the time was Jim Clemens. Yeah. Jim Clemens was looked at as a very bright assistant under Phil Jackson. You coach for Phil Jackson, what do you do? You run the triple post. Triangle. What happens with the triangle offense? Uh, the point guard brings it down. He kicks it to the wing. He goes through and he goes to the corner and he waits. Right? I'm simplifying yeah, and it. And you want a big, you want a big two guard that can post up, basically. Right. right. And then Finley you have was that guy. And then you have something called the pinch post. Mm. Okay. Uh, which you want a good guy that you you know you're going to run weak side action off of him. He's got a little be a good elbow passer. handoffs. Yes. Like so what they did was Jason Kidd didn't want to throw the ball to the wing, go stand in the corner, and meanwhile Jim Clemens or you know I'm speaking for other people. I wasn't in the organization at the time. But it was like, well, this guy can't shoot. Mm. So you're taking away all the things that makes Jason Kidd great by forcing the system on him. So they traded if I and it and it went down I, I believe during a game if I want to say that Chris Arnold announced it on air are you serious I believe so it, it was I mean, the day after Christmas on 1996 so it's, it, it was Jason Kidd and Lauren Meyer and Tony Dumas going to Phoenix for Sam Cassell AC Green and Jason Kidd is what I believe the trade was uh, well Sam Cassell AC Green and and uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Well, uh, no. Finley came back. Yeah, Finley. Finley. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, but Kid. it was it was Jason Kidd, Dumas, and Lauren Meyer. Well, there was also a draft pick involved. It was a 1998 second round pick. Do you okay. know who and and the Mavericks received it? Uh, Do you the know who that player became? Second round draft pick, which was the same year they got Dirk. Uh, was they that draft, Greg Buckner? It was Greg Buckner. Okay. So uh, that trade, obviously, it looks. Uh, extremely fishy on paper. I mean, not fishy. Obviously, Jason Kidd's a Hall of Famer, and Michael Finley's great. But whenever you trade one for the other, obviously you want one more than the other. Yeah. Uh, Kidd was only in Phoenix for you know a few years. Right. So the Mavs actually won that trade in win shares, uh, seventy-eight to thirty-seven. So, so this is what I bad, this is what I wanted to get into on that. Yeah. Because at the time, so have you ever heard the term linchpin? Uh, yeah. That was how they described Michael Finley in the deal. The Mavericks were saying. We got Michael Finley was the linchpin of the deal. Mm. Okay, Jim Clemens, Michael Finley's from Chicago. Jim Clemens was coaching in Chicago. You just made a reference to the type of two guard that they needed. Yep. So at the time, and also Sam Cassell at that point had not had the kind of career that he would later have in Minnesota where he was borderline MVP of that team. No he disrespect was great, to Kevin man. Garnett. He was great. If he did not get hurt. Yeah, he was still kind of an up-and-coming player at the well, time. Well, he right? was, you know, he was, he hadn't fully become the stud that he was. He was good, had good time in Houston, right? Yeah. Um, and he was like young, mid-20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, but he wasn't looked at as a beast. And what he did in Minnesota, I think, cemented his career, mm. right? Him and Latrell Sprewell and Kevin Garnett. I still maintain that if, if uh, Sam Cassell had not gotten hurt during that playoff run, I think Minnesota wins it all. Or, it, you know, they just, he yep. got hurt and everything went, fell apart for him. But anyway, so at the time, it's looked at as, 
wait, you traded a future Hall of Fame point guard in his – I mean, at the time, kid was probably 25. I don't even know how old he was. I'm guessing 26. Yeah, very young. It was like the third year of his career or something. Right. And, you know, Finley was a mid-first-round pick. And so, to your point is, over time, that trade looks a hell of a lot better than it did at the time. Yeah. At the time, it was, good God. Oh, and here's the other thing that Zach and Ellie sealed his fate. Zach and Ellie, I can't remember if he said rocket science or brain surgery. Oh, no. But after he made the trade, he alluded to it's easy to make trades or it's easy to be a GM. It's not rocket science. Oh, no. And then meanwhile, the guy, everybody's going, you traded Jason Kidd? Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's a lot that goes into it. But that, that got Finley here. So was the entire big three over, or the three J's, excuse me, over whenever Nelly was hired? Or did no. he trade Mashburn? So he traded Mashburn. Okay, so when Nelly right. got here, right. okay. Nelly cleared everything out okay i'm gonna get rid of all the dead weight yeah so mashburn went out in a trade that brought back wait no 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 i think jimmy did mashburn go to mashburn went to miami jimmy yep. jackson got traded to new jersey or whatever they were at the time for mm. sean bradley oh no it was philadelphia wait new jersey it would have been new jersey new jersey for Sean Bradley and I believe Robert Pack were the two guys of that deal. Ah, the famous I, number fourteen. And and then and was that know, Nelly as well? Or that was, was Nelly that, that made that deal. Okay, so, so Nelly got rid of the the last two. He got Jays. rid of Jackson. and Jay Mashburn. Kidd was the first J to go. He was the first J to Which go. Is he is the J. And very so weird. Keep in mind whatever. that Donnie Nelson would have kept Jason Kidd, or Don would have kept based on. So there's these real famous pickup games that used to go on in the Bay Area when Donnie worked for the Warriors. And Jay Kidd played in those games because Jay Kidd grew up in the Bay. Uh, Gary Payton would play yeah, in these he, games. Yeah, he beat down Gary Payton. So that was uh, Gary Payton. Jason Kidd gave his induction speech, right, or something? Or yeah, 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 that's Gary right. Gary Payton gave his induction speech for so, a kid or whatever. So just so people know, Donnie used to play in those games. Really? Yes. Ah, Donnie was a baller. So he could play then. Donnie could play. Yeah. Donnie was part the, – the reason that Donnie uh, found uh, Marshall Onis, who was the first big-time player to come over – from overseas and playing the NBA was because Donnie had to cover him. He was part of the athletes in action that toured the world. Yeah. And Donnie had to cover him in a game. And then he came back and told his dad, this guy, holy cow, dad. Wow. So, yeah, Donnie's stories are the best stories in the world. Yeah. Like, in the world. That's one of the things I cherish as much as anything is getting to know Donnie Nelson. I, he's told me and Ben so many great stories over the last – that was actually the first time where I thought, not that I've made it or whatever, but – uh, ben and I have been doing the post-game show for a year or two, and Donnie Nelson, we used to do it from the old number seven, and Donnie Nelson, who I have no idea if he knows who I am or not, walks up and hands me a card, me and Ben both a card, and says, thank you, boys, you know how Donnie is, thank you, you know, yeah. and it walks off, and I was like, wow, and I open it, and it was a Christmas card from Donnie Nelson, and I'm looking at it going, Wow, Donnie Nelson knows who I am. Yeah. That's amazing. And at the time, he was coaching. He was, right? At the time, he was assistant, yes, assistant coach. Yeah. And I don't know if he had been given a title in the front office yet I'm or sure not. he was doing but, something. And also, there was a time where his dad uh, had, I believe, his prostate cancer, and so had to leave the bench for a little while, and Donnie ran the team at the time. Yeah. But And he always did well. I mean, uh, yes. Nelly got kicked out of a lot of games, too, and Donnie would Donnie always would replace him. Over. Yeah. Uh, so Donnie's just such an awesome dude. But so when and, and that was another key acquisition was Don convincing Donnie to join him in Dallas. Mm. And it was very important because Don knew that Donnie was 
a brilliant guy. And Donnie was in Phoenix at the time. He was not only in Phoenix at the time, he had just received one of the best assistant coach contracts you can get in the NBA. Really? On Danny Ainge's staff. He was so valued. Donnie Nelson is the reason that the Phoenix Suns drafted Steve Nash. Yeah, he was standing hard for Nash because at Nash, his rookie year was their third string point guard. Yes. And then he was back up yes. his second year. And so I'll give you a little great little story here. So for whatever reason, uh, I don't know how we got the introduction, but Ben and I were friends with Tony Dumas when he was a Maverick. And Ben and I didn't work in media. In fact, we were rappers at the time. So <laughs> That's uh, such a funny visual. So when it. Tony Dumas went to Phoenix, he was telling me and Ben about, you're not going to believe this Steve Nash guy. He's destroying everybody in practice. And I'm trying to remember the timetable, but I believe the Suns had Kevin Johnson and Jason Kidd both. And so Nash just wasn't getting burned. Yeah. But they used what was it, the 14th pick in the draft on Steve Nash. And as the story goes, the Colangelos, who have you know, known the Nelsons forever, the Colangelos told, left it up to Donnie and said, all right, you're caping for this guy. We're giving you the pick. You're going to make the pick? And Donnie's like, I'll stake my reputation on Steve Nash. Man. All right? So Don gets here. So what does Don do? Don has to convince his son to leave – one of the most secure situations an assistant can have in the NBA to come be his right-hand man for a franchise that's been the second-worst franchise in all of professional sports with an owner in Ross Perot Jr. who doesn't know anything about basketball. All he cares about is the real estate side of things. And leave that security to come be his dad's right-hand man. And at the time, their only real like asset of significance or really like big-time player was Finley. That was before Dirk, before Nash. Yes, so, uh, and I'm trying to remember if Donnie came in the off season, or I don't know. I don't remember. I have to go look. Or if he came after they had traded Mashburn and Jackson. But it was like, flush the toilet. Let's uh, start over. Let's reset. And so they reset with Sean Bradley, Robert Pack, and, and Michael Finley was in place. Yeah. Um, when, and real quick, by the way, you always hear the NBA is a relationship business. Mm -hmm. Donnie worked in Phoenix with the Colangelos. Mm -hmm. Donnie worked in Phoenix with Danny Ainge. Mm -hmm. Who have the Mavericks made a lot of trades with over the years? The Celtics and the 76ers. Exactly. And I think the Colangelos were in Toronto whenever they made that deal for Sean Marion. Yep. And You're right. Brian Colangelo kinda, was there. You can just kind of follow the... Absolutely. The, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I know a lot of... I, I, I don't mean this in a tampering way. I'm just going to respond to fans... But there's been a lot of fans that read things and go, oh, Bradley Beal's available. I want Bradley Beal. Well, I don't know that Bradley Beal is gettable, quite honestly. But I would say that that probably took a hit yesterday uh, when Ernie Grunfeld was removed from his post because Ernie Grunfeld goes way back with the Nelsons, as evidenced by the Karan Butler, Brendan Haywood, oh, yeah. Deshaun Stevenson deal. Yeah. So, uh, you know, those relationships matter. They mm. absolutely matter. Yeah, it's a relationship point. business, man. Um, Okay, so Donnie comes to the Mavs, and that would have been, what, 98, probably like early spring of 98? That probably sounds right. Uh, yeah, because Nelly took over midway through the 97-98 season, I okay. believe, yep. as coach. So uh, Nell Donnie joins after the season, so draft night comes along. And, and let me just say, Don came on as the GM, and then – Jim Before Clemens, coach, right? yeah. Jim Clemens was still coaching, and then eventually Jim. Yeah, Nelly lost his Nelly kid. supplanted him as coach. Uh, I think I want to say December. I just that had sounds the page about open. right. Yeah, December ninety seven, or like I think actually at the end of the year, it would have been after the like kid February trade. or something. Yeah, it would have been after the kid yeah. trade. So uh, draft night comes along, and the Mavs uh, have some very uh, secretive information, or at least they're trying to keep it a secret. 
how much they love this dirt guy mm-hmm. who just dominated the world, uh, the Nike Hoop Summit. There was a good article yesterday about that. I haven't uh, read it yet. Yeah, it's the yeah. oral history of the 98. Yeah, 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 really good read. I think McMahon wrote that. I'm sure he had a lot of help from people. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, great read. Uh, highlight videos of that game still exist. So it's it's just a, a fun game to go watch. Dirk is just dominating these guys, including, like, Rashard Lewis. Stromile Swift is in that game, too. So this is, all right, just random junk. Uh, I bumped into Richard Lewis outside of Reunion Arena after that game. Oh, yeah? Yes, he was just walking, and I was just down there, and I remember just I had a like 20-second conversation, but obviously I knew who he was yeah. because there was talk about him being in the draft and all this stuff. Um, or when was that game? Was that game after it was the nine, draft? It was ninety eight. No, it was it was like, it was before the draft. It was like a week or two before the draft. Yeah. So uh, and maybe he had already declared. I don't recall. But I remember I recognized him, bumped into him. He was walking by himself mm. uh, and had like a little twenty second conversation with him. Uh, players used to be very accessible yeah. before the internet exploded. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Dirk dominates, and and that's kind of good because it confirms that he is good, and also kind of bad because that means that other teams are going to know how good he is. He got Boston pining to get him at ten. Uh, no one in the top eight seems to really care about him all that much. So the Mavs end up getting him uh, at nine. They trade back. They made a risky uh, trade. Yeah, they did trade. Yeah, I mean, it, it's risky to trade back whenever you know you want a guy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's come to bite them in uh, recent years. But right. It is what it is. And then uh, later that night, they trade Dirk to the Buck, or they trade Robert Trailer to the Bucks for Dirk and Pat Garrity. And then they turn and around. Was it also a first round pick? No. Okay. No, just player. Just for Pat pl- Garrett. Player, player. Yeah, yep. Pat Garrett. Okay. And then they turn around and trade. And I'm. This is where I'm going to ask you. I have the trade out in front of me, but I want to ask if you know every piece of the trade. Yes. For so Steve Nash. It was Pat Garrity. It was a future first round pick that turned into Sean Marion. Um, I think that was it. Was there more to it? Uh, Martin Murasep and Bubba Martin Murasep. Martin Murasep came to us in the Jamal Mashburn to the Miami oh, Heat trade. Wow, okay. Is that right? Uh, I don't know. I, could, I thought I could Sasha Danilovich and Martin Murasep. How Martin, about Bubba Wells? How did Bubba uh, Wells become a Mav? Uh, that's how Bubba Wells became a Mav. Was oh, the, so he was in that trade too. Okay. Okay. Um, no, I, I, it all kind of oh, no, runs no, no, together. I'm, I'm, I was asking. I was oh, asking I'm not 100 percent sure. Okay. Uh, and for those who are fans of 90s pop culture, my buddy used to say that Martin Murasep always looked like one of the dudes in Train Spotting. <laughs> but um, so you had uh, I, so um, Martin Murasep, Pat Garrity, and then the first round pick that became and Ma- Bubba Wells and Bubba Wells all yeah. went for Nash. Yeah, and now the the three players, I mean Murasep, Wells, and Garrity, all find whatever, but the Mavs gave up. What was an unprotected first round pick? I don't even know that back then you did protect. Yeah, that's why I, I don't think they did. But it, I mean, that it could have been anything. Right. And going into the ninety eight ninety nine season, you're assuming right that you're probably not going to be that great. Well, I mean, unless Dirk is like a baller right away. The Mavericks were assuming they were going to be good, and the reason is is because Donnie Nelson knew a lot about Steve Nash. Yeah, and so he was telling. Anyone who would listen, no, 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 I no, mean, no. You're really staking your life on this, and that would that was the second time that Donnie had done that. Yes, he already did it once in Phoenix yes. to get him the first time. Right. And so, how sure if you ever want to, if you think you ever, I mean, and sometimes I'll go read meatheads on the internet, and Donnie Nelson don't do his job. I'm like, dude, he acquired two MVPs on the same day. You monkey, <laughs> shut up. You're bad at sports. Stop thinking. Just go. Oh my God. Do, go watch he a cooking tr- he show. He traded for conference finalist representatives, I believe, every single year from 2003 through 
2008, I think. The Suns or the Mavs were in the oh, conference finals go. every year. That's one way to look at it. I baby. mean, that's like amazing. Mm-hmm. And three MVPs, two Hall of Famers on the same day. Not bad. Right. Uh, and that's like his first day on the job, basically, that he made that deal. Donnie is so good at his job. Yeah. He's so good yeah, at his it's job. It's amazing. But anyway, so you're staking a lot because if, let's say, the Mavs had not traded that first round pick or maybe traded an, a 2000 pick instead and they would have got Sean Marion, that would have been wacky. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if, Nelly would have been into Matrix. Do you think that is is he a Nelly kind of guy? I mean, because he's he, like that versatile, di- multi-dimensional. Yeah, I think like so. I think four spacing, athletic I th- guy. I think he probably would have like. I think he probably would have envisioned him as a different player because yep. he can't quote unquote can't shoot. Yeah, and obviously Marion turned into a solid shooter in Phoenix and because, uh, you just know, a great defender. Oh, an unbelievable defender. But you know, uh, to your point. Uh, you know, uh, Nelly always appreciate. You know, Nelly came up with the term point forward. Yeah. And I, you know, or, and the guy that's always associated with that in Milwaukee is Paul Pressey, but he even had Marcus Johnson doing that. Marcus Johnson was a traditional scoring three, but then Nelly would use him to initiate. But then Paul Pressey was actually different eras and stuff. He's and, the first one. Uh, yeah, he's he's actually kind of similar to Sean Marion in terms of versatility. Paul Pressey was a rugged defender too. Yeah. Um, and then uh, his son actually grew up here in the Metroplex, Phil Pressy, Phil Pressy and then played, played at Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. yeah. And then went on to the Celtics, I believe. Uh, is that so, right? Yeah. Had a little dalliance with the Celtics. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think, I think Nelly would have, Nelly always saw the unique things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Nelly gets all the credit for drafting Dirk. It was Donnie. Yeah. Donnie, that was Donnie's call. Now he had, hey, Dad, look at this. Oh, yeah, that's great. Let's yeah. do it. Hand me another Buy cigar. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's have a drink. Right. I have a quick, uh, kind of like a thought exercise, I guess, for you. So Sean Marion was the number nine pick in 1999. Uh, do you think, let's say the Mavs go into that draft with the number nine pick, do you think they're more likely to draft somebody at nine or try and trade up for someone like Wally Zerbiak, Richard Hamilton, or Andre Miller, uh, who were taking six, seven, and eight, or – do you think they're inclined to take someone who is taken after Sean Marion, which includes Jason Terry at number 10, uh, uh, Alexander Radievich at number uh, 12? God, who did man he go to? Yugoslavia. He went to the Raptors. Okay. Uh, and, and Barton County Community College, apparently. Uh, or like Corey Maggetti. Uh, mm-hmm. Ron Artest went later on. James Posey went later on. Uh, guys like Jeff Foster, Frederick uh, Weiss, the the uh, the French big man known yes. for that big Vince uh, Carter hurtled him and dunked yeah. in a in Andre Karolinko went twenty fourth. I, I mean, Nelly if the Mavs would have all over Karolinko, if they would have had the number nine pick, do you think they trade back and 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 I take could Karolinko? see that. I could see them trading back. So if they have that pick, that's assuming they don't have Nash. Well, so I, I wonder. I mean, I'm just saying, like, right. if they would have given the 2000 pickup or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, so they probably had wouldn't some have drafted like, top Jet 10 because they had Nash. And, you know, who knows? You know, I mean, maybe like Maggetti. I know he's like a kind of a, a, a bigger guy, too. So then you go like Nash, Maggetti, Finley, Dirk. Yeah. Um, or Artest. But, man, if you trade back for Karolinko, holy crap. I, I you're think going Nelly like, would have looked at Karolinko as the kind of guy. Nelly would have looked at Karolinko and goes, okay, there's my five. Can you imagine, like, Dirk Kirilenko, Nash Finley? God, it would have been fun. Although Kirilenko didn't play in the NBA right away, I don't think. He didn't come over until a few years later. Um, Okay, so you got the Nash trade right. Just to kind of put into context how big of a gamble it was, we talked about Nash's playing time and how he was like a backup and stuff. To the point in his career where they traded for him, right? So through his first two full seasons in the NBA – the guy that the Mavericks ended up trading Sean Marion for, which is kind of funny, but it ended up being a top 10 pick. 
Uh, he had averaged for his career 6.4 points and 2.8 assists per game. He'd started just 11 times. In 1997-98, which is his last year in Phoenix, he averaged 22 minutes per game. But 41.5% on threes. Mm-hmm. Two, two and, 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 I'm, and the reason I threw that Tony Dumas thing out there is because that, you know, that was a player that just was giving an observation. This dude's killing everybody yeah, yeah, no in reason practice. to lie about that. Right. This guy, and so what I'm saying is, is Donnie's sitting there going, look at my guy killing everybody. Yeah. And yeah, we have Jay Kidd and Kevin Johnson, but look at my guy killing But, I mean, just here. like public perception-wise, you trade for a guy who's a career backup, who was, I believe, a four-year college player, so he was already like 24, 25 by the time you even get him. You're giving up a future first-round pick. Yep. You just drafted some lanky German kid that yep. no one knows anything about. And if I remember correctly, Bobby, they gave Nash a new contract immediately. Oh, my God. Before It was like when the Cowboys traded for Roy Williams, the wide receiver, and then, extended and then gave him. him a new contract after like a game. Now, luckily, the Nash move worked out a little better. Way better. Yeah, just a, just a little better. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like – you can't blame everyone at the time for being like, what the heck is going on? Well, like, and the other is, thing, too, is, is you're, you're, you're dealing with a decade of baggage. So, yeah. like, Nellie and, and Donnie have to wear, you know, Quinn Buckner and Jim Clemens and Zach and Ellie. And, and, and here's another story that I remember. You know, it's funny. You have these memories. And I'm sitting here thinking about the whole kid trade and all that. I was like, man, I wonder if I got all that right. Because I haven't gone back and looked it up. But those are such vivid memories that I have of that. So maybe I got some details wrong. And if I did, uh, send me a tweet at Bobby Carella. But <laughs> if you did, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're an idiot. You're an odiot. But um, but uh, oh, I got sidetracked there. What were we talking? Oh, that's about? okay. Uh, okay, I do want to say something about Finley too. Yep, yep, yep. Um, it's always the Dirk and Nash. What could have been stuff? Uh huh. Michael Finley, man. Okay, first six seasons of his career. First six full seasons, mm-hmm. I believe two of which were spent with the Suns, four for the Mavs, or like one and a half with the Suns, right. four and a half for the Mavs. How many games did he miss? Oh, he never missed games. He did not miss a single game yeah. in six seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 96-97, which is the, was the year he was traded to Dallas, he played 83 games. Oh, we yeah. were talking about that on air he the other day because games. Tobias Harris can play 83 games this year. Can he really? And Followell was bringing that up, and I was like, I wish we had known. Yeah. We would have talked about Finley. 83 games, dude. Yeah. He, he averaged got 40 minutes a game. Yeah, and, and that was another was thing great. is that he played almost every minute. And Iron Man. There was, yeah, there was – and so and it's funny, and another guy that was part of that trade was A.C. Green, who was an Iron Man. Yeah, the, the M- Iron Man. I remember think his, we – his we, record still stands. Yeah, right? we hung a banner. Yeah, I was at that game. Yeah. <laughs> it was, okay, it was, it was pretty funny. Uh, I know what I was going to say though. Bob. Okay, uh, this is kind of folklore, and and uh, Keith Grant may go, "No, skin, you have this wrong." But so Keith Grant had been with the Mavericks from day one. Yeah, he was an equipment manager, and back then the staff had four dudes on it, right? Like there was one assistant coach. Bob Weiss was the one assistant. They coach They literally needed somebody to keep track of the equipment because they didn't have enough people to do that. Right. Like so, Keith came in from the ground floor and had worked all his way all the way to the very top, and it had eventually been named the general manager of the team. And this is when Ross Pro Jr. was buying the team, and he kind of saw. I'm speaking for Keith, so if I get this wrong and Keith does not want to be represented this way, he can slap me down. But I have immense respect for this human. So he kind of saw the way things were going. It was like, I don't want to be in this dumpster fire. Look, what are you doing with my beloved Maverick? So he resigned. Imagine working all your, your way up from equipment manager in 1980 to general manager of the franchise in the mid-90s. It's like 15 years to go from the bottom to the top. I mean, it's Drakey McDrake Drake, right? Yeah. Gets all the way to the top and is like, wait, 
y'all are doing what? I'm going to resign. I don't want this. This is a bad representation of me. And so he resigned uh, and, and is just kind of like, I think, just sort of floating, trying to figure out what he's going to do next. So then in four or five months, whatever, the Zach and Ellie pro crew runs it into the massive iceberg. They take it from one iceberg into the next iceberg. And so Zach and Ellie goes to Don Nelson and is like, uh, we need you, save us. And Don Nelson's like, why isn't Keith Grant in the organization? What a bunch of clowns. So one of the first things Don Nelson does is he brings Keith Grant back. What a guy. What a guy. Keith Grant is famously known for in the draft room going, we need to draft this Tim Hardaway guy. Oh, which yeah. the Mavericks did not. Yeah, Nelly oh, drafted okay. the Tim Hardaway guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, not too bad. But anyways, my whole point being, Keith Grant is, makes everything happen. By the way, he, there's an immense amount of like paperwork and logistics needed uh-huh. to do anything in the NBA, and he is like the wizard. He's the wizard, and he's been here since the beginning. And so, whenever I have some thing I need cleared up from a hundred years ago, I always sheepishly go knock on Keith's door and he goes, what do you want, Skin? <laughs> he knows what's coming. Why are you coming, coming to my house? Right. <laughs> Why are you visiting? It's he knows o'clock. I'm about to bug him about some historical, <laughs> hey, Keith, do you remember that, you know? So, uh, but man, I just have so much respect for that man and his son is in the organization now working his way up He's just like his, his dad way up, did. Yeah. And I just, I love that the Mavericks are a family. Yeah. Uh, so the Mavs get their, their big three and... Things were pretty much an immediate success. An immediate success. Pardon me. I just got so excited. Uh, 1999-2000, uh-huh. their first full year together. Remember, 98-99 was a lockout. They were seventh in the league in offense. 01, they were fourth. And then from 01, 02, through the 03, 04 season, they were first every single year. Ahead of Sacramento. Yeah. How about that? And, in fact, that 03, 04 team, despite Antoine Walker's best efforts to shoot every time oh he touched God. the ball. Volume shooter. That 03, 04 team was the number one offense of all time relative to league average. That's the number incredible. one offense in NBA history. And, and look, that's on a team whenever they literally had a guy shooting five threes a game at, like, a sub-30% clip, which is, like, insane to shoot that much that – I like at that time. Yeah. Shoot and that many threes in the handshake era is like unheard of. And I believe they were very low in turnovers too. Yeah, they never turned it over. Yeah. Because Nash play. was the and I mean Finley was the man too. Finley yeah. played a lot of ISO and ISO you're not you're not turning it over in the right. post and all that stuff. I mean it, it was it, and so I know that and Nash brought this up on the broadcast. I know that Dan Tony gets a lot of credit for the modern NBA and he should, but Nelly was doing it first. And 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 keep in mind Nelly was a part of the rule changes that implemented the zone. Yep. And so he was right because the griping at the time was that the zone would bog things down. And Nelly was like, oh, no, 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 because the way you beat a zone is with passing and shooting and skill basketball. Like, you can't play zone against a guy, the guys that know how to pass and shoot. They will destroy your zone in 30 seconds. Yep. I mean, even in, like, my little playing, I remember going, oh, a zone? Badass. This is great. This is cake. I remember Rick was talking about changing the illegal defense rules, which happened the same year they allowed zone, I believe. Uh, so back then, illegal defense was basically just zone. Like, you could not play zone. You couldn't be too far away from your man. You had to commit to a double team. You couldn't flood an area. Yeah, like you yeah. Can you now. couldn't, like, overload the floor, right. basically. So it's kind of zone, but then, like, they literally outlawed 2 3. You could not do that. Yeah. So uh, the NBA allowed that. And I remember someone asked Rick about that. It might have even been you a couple years ago. And Rick said, that doing away with the legal defense was great for the NBA because at the time the smart coaches considered it 
in a way to make it impossible to hide bad shooters. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's such a weird way to look at it, but it's so true. If you can play zone, you can just leave bad shooters open. Right. And you've solved you've solved defense. Right. Like you're you're gonna stop them every time because you're playing five on four. Right. So it meant if I can zone you up and play two three, the bad thing about a zone now is that it lets teams shoot on you. But that was like considered a strength back then because there weren't a lot of shooters. Right. And and that's what Nelly's vision was. Yeah. If we implement this, there will be a premium on shooting and passing, which is what makes basketball beautiful. So Nelly wanted to kill ISO backdowns. It's like this is boring. Yeah. Nobody wants to watch this crap. So it's like, okay, well let's how do we combat this? Let's get some skill players. Oh, dude, and so now are- you have big men like Jokic and Vucevic and all these guys. Chris Dude, Towns, we just saw Porzingis. Towns last night. Towns is a freak. Yeah, and Porzingis too. And 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 all Same of that. Draft. All of that happens because of the way the game has changed. And it's not, hey, big guy, quit shooting eighteen footers and go stand on that block. I can't tell you how many times growing up, I was in a gym and a coach walked in and said, hey, to a big guy, you go get down there on the block. What are you doing? You know, and it's like, well, I'm learning basketball skills. Nope, go get down there on that block. You know, yeah, it's like no, that's, okay those that. days are gone. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can't – I mean, we're going to see Porzingis utilized in the post next year. It doesn't mean you can't make it a weapon or an aspect of a game. You but do it's it three or be, four times a game, not right. like three or four times a possession. Right. Like entry passes is – you know, it's, 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 it is boring, And man. Nelly used to love posting up guards because they can pass out of the post. Yeah, like Finley. Yeah. He was kind of like the – sort of like that anchor pivot, man. And I'm sure that some of his experience in the triangle probably helped him, even though we hate to admit that but Mm -hmm. like being used as kind of like that pivot guy and at the elbow and stuff i mean finley was great from there yeah later in his career fun Uh, times yeah man those were some fun times uh i just remember i mean basketball was fun man like the mavericks were so good and i i I was very young whenever they were doing this i was only 11 or 12 but and they're scoring like 109 110 111 points per game in an era whenever east teams were scoring in the 70s like routinely yeah i mean it was like it was watching another sport oh yeah you'll you'll flip on uh mid to late 90s basketball on nba tv and be going what yeah i mean it was it was terrible i mean from the mid 90s and and the, the mavericks too i mean nowadays the rules are so geared to just like help offense and that changed actually the year nash went to phoenix is when they undid the hand check rule but like the mavericks were scoring 105 a game in the hand check era. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were scoring 110 points per 100 possessions. They were the number one offense ever whenever you could grab people. Like, just think about how good they were. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Dirk, that's Nash, Finley, and all those guys. I mean, they were incredible. And then when we get into all this talk, it always takes me back to, all right, so Michael Jordan is the greatest. He did all that in the hand check era. Yeah. I mean, dudes are just shoving in with two hands on his head. And especially in the 90s, I mean, it was brutal. It was brutal. I mean, in the 80s, like, I know that there are people that are very smart basketball people that just will flat out make fun of 80s defense and stuff. And obviously guys are stronger now, but the 90s was just brutal. Yeah. I mean, in the in the 80s, you're not clotheslining people. There wasn't as much physical defense. In the 90s, it was And, dude, I, dude, I, was I went to those games in the 80s when the Mavericks would play the Denver Nuggets, and it would be 136 to 130. It was what Rick would call a pillow fight. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, in the 90s, it's a slugfest yeah. because every team had those big, giant guys. Every team had Charles Oakley, right. basically. I mean, it's just like 82 to 81. And then Nelly comes along, Dirk comes along. And you're scoring in the triple digits every yeah. single night. And it's, it's just, awesome. yeah, I mean, you're getting your chalupas, man. Oh, those were the days. Those were the days. Those were the days. Uh, okay. Was there any, anything else you want to hit on before you get out of here? I know you no, got a radio show to do. I need to go do, do some radio stuff. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to, you know, we'll have to figure out how we want to time out next week because 
Are we going to do – we're going to wait until after Wednesday night to do a pod? Yeah, so I'm going to the game on Wednesday. I'll be there too. Are you Are you going with the team? or? I, I think so, unless they kick me off the plane. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm driving down there with Lizelle and some other people. We're going to make the road trip and then come back that night. And then Thursday, of course, is exit interviews. Right. Maybe um, we do a Friday pod. Yeah, Friday is kind of like unwinding and, yeah. and everything will be – all the dust will be settled. Because I'll probably won't be at exit interviews because of the radio show. So we'll yeah. need you to guide us through exit interviews. Okay. So yeah, we'll do a, a season wrap exit interview podcast next Friday. Okay, and I will just tell you, I don't think that there's going to be like some type of seismic announcement at exit interviews or anything. It's going to be I think it's going to be business as usual, but I there's agree. always good things that come out of it. Absolutely. So like, there's good stuff to talk about, but I'm not expecting some groundbreaking, earth-shattering news. I don't and even know what that could possibly be, but just in case you're expecting something, I don't think that's going to happen. And we should say this because Cuban has said it. If you miss Tuesday... You'll regret it the rest of your yeah, effing life. You're an absolute clown, especially if you have tickets. Yes. And if if you do have tickets to that game, do not leave when it's over. There's going to be stuff that happens almost immediately after the game, uh, but there might be a little bit of a break. We're still trying to figure out like the run of show and everything yep. and timing. Uh, do not leave. Even if it's a 50-point blowout and Alec Peters goes for 60, Like you need to stay in your seat until the very end of the game. Yeah. Also, and I don't know if you're watching – Go ahead. I, yeah, I, I was going to say, if you're watching it on Fox, I think that they're going to be able to carry the whole thing. They're carrying even, the whole thing. Okay. That's yeah. my understanding. Okay. There's going to be a lot of stuff that happens after the game. Uh, it's going to be and, and In Cuban's words, whether Dirk wants it or not. Yeah, and I'm sure Dirk's first reaction will be, you and mother. <laughs> but afterward, I think he's going to be It's going to be special, dude. Happened. Yeah, it's going to be – it's going to be like – yeah, it's probably going to be the best night ever. <laughs> I'm not ready since to, 2011. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not ready to handle it y'all just yet. But hey, good pod, homie. Yeah, yeah, good pod, man. It's good. It's good to look back. And this summer, actually, uh, I think Mike and I are going to do some research on some old stuff and okay. maybe uh, maybe tell some some super old tales put together. Some some history. I love the old tales. Yeah, yeah. So we'll definitely try and get you involved if you want to be. But. Uh, Okay, man. I guess we'll see you next week. Later, homie. Fist bump. The next time we talk to you all, the season will be over. There will be no more basketball for six months. Obviously, there's stuff to happen this summer, and there's going to be a lot of stuff happening next week. But, uh, yeah. It's we'll have kinda... some specialty pods, too. Oh, we will. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. There's numbers on the boards. We will see you next week.